It's Sunday, October 25th, and you are listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. P&P is a spontaneous podcast between two old friends on baseball and motion pictures. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on the penultimate episode of Peanuts and Popcorn for this season, the World Series has begun between the Rays and the Dodgers. We'll break down the action from Globe Life Park. We'll ask, is Mookie Betts better than Mike Trout? Former Astros GM Jeff Liu now wonders if he should be treated more fairly. Players' Choice Awards and Gold Glove finalists are announced. And the sale of the Mets to Steve Cohen is still not a done deal. The Reds promote from within while the Chicago Cubs make massive personnel changes. And in our popcorn discussion, we'll talk about the Robert Altman film, Cookie's Fortune. Tom, how are you? I'm hanging on. I'm hanging on, buddy. I'm hanging on. I, I, it, it, these are tough times, and, and it's going to be a tough winter. Yes, it I'm is. not looking forward to it. it. It's already tough just getting out and about, doing things. It's colder, uh, combined with the fact that you really have to be on guard, socially distant, wearing masks, doing what you need to do. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a tough next six months. Yeah, it, and, um, you know, Chicago is, is, is a great city in many, many ways. In, in, other, in other ways, they have some serious problems looming on the horizon in, in regards to debt. Um, but Not it's still, the least of which is, yeah. <laughs> which, uh, um, and what I'm getting at is, is that I read this week that in CNN that Chicago is now the rattiest city in America. For it the is. six, six year in a row. I mean, we're we're setting records that are, you know, these are this is like Bjorn Borg right here. It's like six so, years in a row. It's hard to express the pride I feel upon <laughs> learning that. You know? Yeah. But, but you're right. I mean, how long was it, Tom, before you saw your first rat in this city? Uh, it was 14 minutes. <laughs> and I'm kind of not kidding. When I moved here in 1985, <laughs> I, on, uh, I moved on Hampton Court in Lincoln Park, like everybody does. Yeah. And I was in the alley with the truck moving it up. And, you know, this rat finished smoking a cigarette, flicked it and kind of looked at me. And I thought, okay, I, I feel welcome here in the Windy City. The, the reason why I bring it up is because neighborhoods on the on the north side of Chicago are employing feral cat brigades oh, wow. to combat the rats. And, the, and so there's there's two problems this year. One is the rats, which is not going away. And the second is is uh, is COVID, because COVID is changing the pattern of how rats uh, travel. And yeah. where and they the travel, area. how they acquire their food. Yeah. Correct, correct. In other words, normally they're in the restaurant areas of town yeah. and, and they uh, you know, migrate to those areas. Well, that's not happening now. So in Andersonville, one of my favorite neighborhoods in Chicago, and I live just out, living. I, I, I live just outside of it. And I love, I love everything about it. And I love that it's, it's just, it's kind of like Wicker Park without as many spaced out grungy yeah, people. Right, right. It's, 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 just, it's Wicker Park for adults. Yeah, exactly, you know you're I mean? right. Exactly for, right. And so, if you're over 30. Yeah. You know, so, so they hire feral, uh, the city to, to drop uh, feral cats into the neighborhood. The feral cats do their job on the rats. They come back and pick up the feral cats. And, and then they move them to a little bit of a, another uh, area of the city. Well, fortunately for me, I am flush with feral cats. Flush. <laughs> and, and they, oh, they drive the dude absolutely. The, the dude has a 
crippling hip injury because yes. of the feral cats in the neighborhood. In fact, sadly, he'll be 12 in a couple months. It will uh, shorten his life. That's how bad it is. And the reason why he has that is because he's trying to chase the feral cats who live in our yard. So when we go to Michigan, they basically are sunbathing in the middle of our yard. <laughs> they just take over. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, but they're extremely effective. My point is in catching and killing right. rats. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You don't see them. That is, that's great. That is a great story. You know, you know, and I laughed so hard when you said about 14 minutes, because it was like that with me. I saw a rat my first day in this city yeah. and I was, it was, it, I was revulsed. You know what I mean? It was really just, I, was well, I wasn't revulsed. See, I came from Detroit. And so <laughs> that, this was like an upgrade. <laughs> yeah. Well, Cincinnati didn't, didn't seem to have as many rats. No, right, yeah. right, right. So there was, um, there was a, a Trump rally here in Northbrook. And I bring this up because the next headline in banter is mask it or casket. And, um, you know, I didn't see it. I only read about it in the Daily Herald and Neil Steinberg, the columnist for the Sun-Times. I follow him on Facebook and you know, he lives up there and he was talking about it. But uh, I didn't see that they were maskless, but there was a little, a, very, a loud but very small Trump, pro-Trump demonstration up there. And I was a little concerned, but then I found out that about maybe one-tenth as many people were there as had been in a Northbrook organized Black Lives Matter march this summer. Right. So, you know, right, that, right. that was encouraging. It was discouraging to hear of it, but it's actually encouraging because it encourages people to make sure they get out and vote, that well, this election matters. There's there's no doubt. And, and, and the fact is, when it comes to COVID, right now we are we're entering a perilous uh, yeah. uh, time. So, so I've been tracking infections and deaths ever since it started. And so uh, a couple of days ago, there was um, over 80,000 infections in the United States. Chicago had 6,100 infect infections. Well, I saw where Illinois set a record. You know, yeah, not Chicago, record. I mean, Illinois. Illinois, uh, had, yeah. And, and and so it's getting worse, not better. So when yeah. you say you saw people not masked up, there's two things that I'm really happy about that are occurring there. Number one, um, these racists are dying. They're going to die from this and, and let them die, I, and honestly. And the other thing, too, it, it identifies you as a confederate. It That's does. kind of the way. If, so if you think about it, we don't know who the Trump support. You could look down your street unless they're wearing those goofy red hats. I mean, you don't, or they're wearing their typical garb, which is a white sheet. You don't really know who it is. And so when there's a massive Trump rally, it's my way of, of, of getting my head around the fact, okay, that's where a lot of them are. That's the people that are the most fervent supporters, they go to these rallies. Well, I think that, that there was maybe a thought within the Trump supporters that if we don't wear masks, we do gather at these rallies, we'll, and we go to places like Sturgis and whatever, and then oh we my go God. back. So, so that infected, that Sturgis infected 10,000 people. Yeah. 10,000 yeah. people got it. And that's that. probably, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's. And, that, and that spread out throughout the country, because they, yeah. the, it's just, that was the most ridiculous thing ever that that town did, Sturgis did, to make money. They put money over lives. And it, there's a theme here in this, what we're talking about in regards to this, this administration, well, how they're handling this. Well, I think that maybe they felt, and this is pretty cynical just to, to imply, but they would bring the, the, the disease back to their communities and everybody, you know what I mean? Like, that, uh, that the people, the liberals perhaps, you know what I mean? Uh, because uh, you know, black people or Hispanic people, those are the ones who would die, but in effect, 
they're really going to be killing themselves. Correct. And killing people that they love. And for what? And I pose the question: It's the thinning of the herd. That that is that is society's way. I'll bet you this has happened for millions of years. For millions of years. Uh, that this is built into the DNA of human beings. Yes, that there's a correct. kind of insanity gene that allows you, you know, that that correct. we have to do because we have to self-destruct. Otherwise, we're too successful as a species. Correct. You know? And, there, and again, there's Democrats that are insane too, but there's a disproportionate amount of insanity wears a red hat. No, and, you're, and you're, you're, you're not wrong there, Tom. And, I mean, and, there are people who I care about who are Trump supporters. Me and, too. And I have a hard time reconciling, you know, that, but, but, you know, I try to be as understanding as I can, but I can only be understanding to a point. And that, you know, that brings me to, to, to the last point I want to make here before we start talking about baseball. And that is, I, I'm just waiting for the numbers to come in from Dixville Notch. Will I mean, you be awake when they come through? Oh, there absolutely I will be. I'm contemplating taking the day, the next day off from work. That's how no. much of a, a, geek, a geek I am. I told you before, I have a phone app that on my front screen tells me how many days are left till the election wow. with a picture of our new, our next president uh, as an icon. So, um, and the reason why I bring this up is because I'm just exhausted by it. I feel I like, well, everybody and, and I know you've worked in political campaigns. Yep. And when it gets to this point in a campaign, people's voices are hoarse. People are, are sleep deprived. You've seen candidates make mistakes because they're tired. Uh, campaign, they're, campaign staff are jumping into bed with each other. Oh, well, know? is that happening at this point or is that after the, the election party? This, this happens, campaign personnel, campaign staff, is basically the fraternization is a building sexual tension. A, a fraternization yeah. a, a, for our, our 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 younger listeners. A fraternization. A fraternization, but there's always a building Google. tension, a sexual tension among political campaigns because not only are you in competition with your your the opposing campaign, but you're you're competing against the voices within your own campaign, and and there's a love hate relationship that you get with women or men or other you know, and it just invariably will end up with people fucking on the tables, you know? Well, and also there's another aspect at this part of the season. I would think that you're thinking about where's your next job going to come? You oh, know, yeah, oh, yeah. After this campaign is over, I'm out of a job or, yeah. or am I? Am I going to yeah. get an appointment? You know, there's all these things that are going on and then you throw booze in the mix. And, throw booze and, into it, throw sex into and, it. The and, next thing yeah. you know, Jed's a millionaire. Yeah. No, it's, it's pretty crazy. It is pretty crazy. But one thing that is not crazy is the fact that for the first week in quite some time, you and I are not lamenting the death of a Hall of Fame baseball player. And uh, I think that in itself might be a little victory going forward. It is. However, I do want to say rest in peace to Daryl Cousins, the longtime umpire who did pass away this week. Wow. Uh, wow. So. I, I missed that one. Yeah. I missed that one. But, but, but you're been, right. It's good that there's no yeah, Hall of good. Fame deaths. This has been a, a brutal year. And as we just talked about, it's going to get worse. I, th I think it's it's not over yet. No, it's all oh, God, no. No, it's going to be, I mean, this thing will get out of hand and we'll be lucky if we all live through it. You know, we really will. So anyway, so, uh, but the World Series has begun and there is baseball being played and the Dodgers and the Rays are tied at two games apiece. And basically... The Rays tied it last night in yeah, one of the yeah. most exciting World Series games I think anyone has seen for a long 
time. This is since, a game since 2016's Cubs uh, Cleveland Indians seventh game. It was the best game since then, and it's it was the best of, game since then. I mean, they were down seven to six in the ninth with two outs. And they, they were down. They were down three to one at one point. Yeah. Did you watch the game? I watched the game. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it, it was crazy. I mean, I was back and forth. My I'm fighting with my wife for control of the television. Me, me but, too. You know, <laughs> but, but but it was a, it was just a tremendous game because the Dodgers would take the lead and the Rays would invariably tie it up. You know what I mean? They would just come back. You know, the Dodgers would just get another clutch hit, but then the Rays would follow it up with another one. I mean, there was home runs, three run home runs. What was it? Who hit the three run home run? Was it Kiermaier? You know, who that uh, tied it up or whatever. That no, Brandon was, Lau. Brandon it was Lau. Brandon Lau. That's right. That It was just unbelievable. And so, you know, you're looking at two teams who are deep in terms of personnel and talent. They've great hitters, great defenders, great pitchers, and an undying will to win. I mean, the Dodgers have, have been – how many years have the Dodgers been here and come away yeah. empty? Yeah. You know, they well, – Hey, really, trust me. They're still the superior team. <clears throat> and, in fact – By far, they're the they're, superior They're, they're only a really good relief pitcher away from being up three games to one, uh, if you want to break it down like that. So the Do Dodgers are still in command, but there's a couple of interesting things that have stuck out as I've watched – uh, parts of all of the games, unfortunately, during the week, I, I fell asleep early. And last night, truth to be told, I fell asleep at at the sixth inning, but oh, I woke well. up at midnight and started the game from the sixth inning on and saw yeah. it and just was like, oh, my God. Oh, yep. my God. Oh, my God. What what, what are we seeing here? What a game. And, and it culminated at the end when Phillips got that single that, you know, uh, uh, a Rosarina should have been out at the plate. Should have been out, but there were just little flaws right. in the cutoff, the throw from the outfield to the mm -hmm. throw to the, you know, to Muncie, and then Muncie's throw to to, to Wright or whatever his name is. Yeah. Uh, Smith. It, it was Smith. I, sorry, Smith. I mean, and that caused him to just kind of have to move to his side to get the ball, and he didn't quite. Well, well actually, no. It flipped. It flipped off his glove. The catcher yeah. should have caught that ball. He, but he was, he, but he was looking at a Rosarina coming down at him, and and again, that's it's basic coaching it's one just that Catch the ball, brother. The ball gets away from the outfielder, which causes a Rosarina to move right. for the plate, and 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 it's just all those things—the indecision, you know, the hesitation, and the run scores. Lance Parrish and Johnny Bench make that play. That's what I'm saying to you. It's just that catcher. You know, he's not control. I, I think Contreras makes that play too. Well, I mean, but anybody would, that's a difficult play for anybody. I don't there, care. Who there's no play. doubt, but you can't look at the runner when you're trying to catch the ball. And that's but you have clearly. to look at the runner while you're trying to catch the ball. Yeah, Otherwise, you won't be able to tag him. Well, that's Buster Posey 101 if you think about well, your, li you know, your livelihood and so forth. But the um, thing is, if the throw from Turner, if the throw from Turner, the cutoff throw, is good, if, yeah. it, if it's not – to, 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 to Smith's right, if it's to his left, if it's in front of him, even if it's a short hop, he can get in front of it. And he has plenty of time to get a Rosarina who had yeah. fallen down, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, and by the way, we've got to talk about a, 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 Ros, a Rosarina in the sense that he hit his ninth home run this postseason. Yes. I mean, and no one won. Now, Mickey Mantle, who was in the postseason, now he hasn't played as many games no, in the postseason, but he was in it year after year after year. He never even came close to anything like that. Well, yeah, no, but he, he only had seven games. Right, 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 right. right. And then they played like 40 postseason games <laughs> this year. Yeah, I know. I know. And, and I mean, St. Louis Cardinal fans, 
I mean, you traded for this guy or you traded this guy away and uh, you'll be bitching about this one for the rest of your lives. You yeah. know, oh, yeah. Tanya oh, yeah. Is going to be quite a good player. He's fast. He has power. You know, he's uh, he's he, upbeat. He, he's a great character in the game, yeah. too. If you see him, he has these little dance offs with yeah. teammates. Oh, and, yeah. And, and he's just baseball. He's a brilliant dancer. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you're right. But baseball needs more players like that. Yeah. Ah, to be young again and to be, you know, like you and I, when we used to break dance. Yeah. Uh, we used to break dance in the alleys, man. Yeah. The cops yeah. would run us out of there. Yeah, that was us, you know. I remember when I was downtown one time and I was w- walking by the Daily Center and I saw a guy, like, you know, yeah, rolling dance. around like that. And I'm like, oh, he's break dancing. I was like, oh. and they were like, no, no, he just fell off the top of the building. I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. Oh, okay. sorry. <laughs> uh, well, has, has the World Series shown us anything maybe that we didn't know about either these teams or the sport? Or maybe no. the it, it te- the World Series tends to put your weaknesses under a magnifying glass. And that is certainly the case with both of these teams. Not that the Dodgers really have a weakness outside of the fact that they must address uh, Jansen's inability to, 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 uh, to you know, save games like he used to. He is just unpredictable. Outside of that, the Dodgers are pretty solid. They've got great pitching, and they've certainly got hitters one through nine that can that can just absolutely crush you. Yeah. Um, the Rays are different. The Rays had the third lowest payroll in baseball. They, like we talked about, they put it together with to a certain degree with smoke and mirrors and acquisition of young talent, you know, yeah. all of the Cardinals and the Yankees and other teams. And willingness and commitment to play those guys. You but know? that doesn't take away from the fact that they've got more glaring um, issues on that team than the Dodgers will ever have. So, for example, I think the Rays have to to, to put uh, some energy in trying to shore up their starting pitching. They have way too much of a Band-Aid solution uh, when it comes to their starters. Their relievers seem to be fairly decent if they can get to that point in the game, but they need they need a Trevor Bauer on that team. They need a, you know, a Kyle Hendricks. Need somebody who can go a few innings. That, that can really, yes, eat, eat the innings. And then on the other thing, and this is a bigger problem, their offense leaves a lot to be desired because what happens is it's it's like the Cubs. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you, you, they, you, they, they, they have the same kind of offense, but for some reason they make it work. And, and so, the, but the difference is, and actually the Rays are a better team, is that it's fits and starts. And you can't yeah. have that in the, it, because if you have the fits in the playoffs, you're done. You, you can't yeah. have that moment where it goes down. And both of those teams suffered from that. But the Rays, you know, last night, their bats woke up, you know, and I was, you know, I'm rooting for the Rays. I, truth to be told, I'm a yeah. Cubs fan. I'm not rooting, the I'm not rooting for the Dodgers. The third lowest payroll makes it impossible not to root for them. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. It's the American way. It's the American success story. It's Davy and Goliath. And I mean, yeah, it's it's all those things. And I think that, um, you know, the, the interest, here's another interesting tidbit in the losses. Mookie Biss has not got on base with a hit, with a hit. He's got to want the walk. And by the way, did you see that catch he made? Yes. 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 Unbelievable catch. Well, when Fox froze it, I'm like, hey, this could be like a Pulitzer Prize winning photograph if someone yeah. captured him in midair with that. Because yeah, leaping. I mean, the yeah. ball is just crushed. Right. You know, but but it but it happens to be at about seven feet off the ground. Right. You know, right. he's he's able to turn around and with his back to the infield, you know, he makes this unbelievable. He just reaches up and snares it. It was unbelievable. Yeah. You know. 
So I just, it's been a great series. It really has. And, and, you know, unless you grew up in LA as a Dodger fan, your whole life or whatever, you're, uh, you're rooting for, you know, America is behind Tampa Bay. I have friends and family that are Dodgers fans. So I'm not, you know, uh, I, it, I understand that they, they, they haven't won a world series since Kirk Gibson. Yeah. That's uh, right. You know, hobbled around the base pass in 1988 against Dennis Eckersley. In fact, that was the last time a World Series game ended with the losing team winning uh, with two outs down by a run. The and, last until, time that until happened. last night. Yeah, until last night was. Oh the wow! 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 The 1988 World Series is the last time that it happened. And, and the, my the winning team has two outs. They're down by a run in the bottom of the ninth, and uh, they come back and win. It's tough hours. to beat Gibson because it was Roy Hobbs like he came right. Out it was Roy he Hobbs. came out of ICU to, to 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 hit one last time, right? There's nothing more, you know. But then the only time it happened before that was the Cookie Lavaghetto double, you know what I mean? Which yeah. uh, drove in Bill Blevins and whatever that. So yeah. I mean, there are yeah. these these are some of the most famous endings of World Series games in history. So it's already I think this game in particular, Game Four of the 2020 World Series, is sort of at a level that uh, that's kind of sur surpasses most other World Series games. All I know is when I finally stopped watching the game, I was like, this is one of the best games I've ever seen. Uh, because yeah. it has it all. It had some really good pitching at the beginning of the game. By the way, Urias on the Dodgers was snapping him off and yeah. until he wasn't, you know. Until he wasn't, yeah. You know, but that's, uh, you know, it, it was you a know, great you, game. It's a great series. You, and it you, really leave, leaves us asking the question, is Mookie Betts, you know, who plays right field for the Dodgers, is he yeah. a better player than uh, Mike Trout? What, what do you think? I think you could make a case for it. But the problem is, is that Mike Trout has been the best player in baseball for low these last eight or nine years. You know, Mookie Betts has been perhaps competing for the title of best player in baseball for the last maybe two or three years. So, you know, the, the thing that uh, Trout has in his favor is that he's been doing it for a lot longer. But... There are some flaws in Trout's game when you measure them against uh, Betts's game yeah. or Betts's value as a player because and vice versa and vice versa and vice versa. I mean, Trout is the superior hitter, but not by much. You know, it's not like Betts can't hit. You know, right, right, right. we're talking about players who hit above 300, whose OPS is in the not high 900s. I mean, they're they're right there, but Betts by far is superior with the glove, and he's superior on the base paths. You know, so 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 here's my thoughts on the subject. You know, I'm I I rely heavily on the win above replacement. And if yeah. you take into look into consideration the last three or four years when you're if they're comparable, Betts is right there with Trout. Yeah. But the fact yeah. is Trout's only one year older than Betts. And if the game stopped today, Trout with his 75 win above replacement would go yeah. into the Hall of Fame. And Betts with his 45 may not go in, certainly not but right it, away. It, yeah. And, yeah. and so for that reason alone, no, he's not better than Trout. However, Betts brings something to the party that I don't think Trout's really capable of. And, and, and in his defense, he hasn't had really the ability because he doesn't have a team around him and never has. Now, let's be honest. If Trout played for the Dodgers this year, oh, my God, watch out. I think you would have seen some extraordinary yeah. things out of him. But he didn't. And, yeah. But Betts, Betts has played on the big stage and has not only met the challenge, he's risen to the occasion and transformed the game like we've seen 
first of, just so you know, was that the catch that was extraordinary last night? Was that even his best catch in the whole no, playoff? No, it wasn't. That's he, the crazy thing. Yeah, that was the one over catch the, I've ever seen. But and it the wasn't. Greatest, yeah. The greatest catch you can make is when your hand goes over the outfield wall and takes a home run away from somebody. I don't That's care what right. anybody says, nothing against Brooks Robinson, but the greatest defensive play, a fan, it's just like seeing a home run, right. stopping right. a home run is right up there. And so Betts has that ability. Trout does too, but he just he just hasn't exhibited on the big stage because he doesn't have a team around him. But after a while, it becomes like, hey, is that Trout's fault? Well, maybe yeah. some no. of it is. Maybe some of it is Trout's fault. <laughs> even if even if you really can't realistically argue that it is his fault, the association is one is one that that accompanies losing, and eventually yeah. that's a stigma that you can't wear off. He but, needs to be able to win a World Series. Trout does. And, and, one, and one last thing about bets and talking about Kirk Gibson. You know, when Kirk Gibson walked into the nineteen eighty eight uh, season, he was. He was extremely put off by the, the laissez-faire attitude of the players. Yes. And, and, and he writes about it in his book. Vets did the same thing this year. Yeah. Vets said, there's going to be a kangaroo. The there's going to be a kangaroo court and you are going to pay. Because yeah. if our ultimate, if, if I'm, we're all in this together, we all have to fight at the same level. I'm not so sure Trout has that um, charisma. There's, for lack of or, way or better be that much of a leader. You're right. If you, you know what I'm saying, yeah. like Betts got that intangible. So <clears throat> you want to do a tortoise in the hair? Maybe Betts will end up being a better player. It's hard to imagine because Trout right now is potentially one of the top ten position players at, at his position that ever lived. If you go by a win above replacement, in terms of WAR, in terms of the regular season, you're right. And that and that brings to mind another player who's had tremendous regular season success, but has been less than effective yeah. in the postseason until this one. And we're talking about Clayton Kershaw, who's pitched in God knows how many playoff games, but he's never been able, I mean, when he, when his team has needed him the most in the playoffs, he has fallen apart, yeah. you know, rather than come through. And uh, is, th is this the year where he finally puts it together? Well, tonight's game is going to be a huge test. So in, the, oh. in game one, he pitched really, really well. But th that article really goes on to talk about the big difference between that those other Dodger teams is that, um, because you're right, Clayton over the years in the postseason, his ERA is twice as high as what it is in the regular season. And by the way, in the regular season, he's he's if he stopped pitching, he would, would go to the Hall of Fame. That's how good he's been over his career. But in the postseason, uh, not so much. But one of the reasons why the author kind of says is because he hasn't had that offensive monster behind him like he does now. Kershaw over the years has suffered from what a lot of the great pitchers have suffered from. And I saw it in Detroit with Jack Morris. When you pitch a one-nothing one game, it's a one-nothing game because your hitters aren't hitting just like their other team's hitters aren't hitting. You know why? Because you're standing there watching me pitch a great game and you can't, you, it, it, you're, you're, you're like in a trance. And that is that, and Kershaw has suffered from that. Well, you can't say that now. This World Series team, I'm telling you, one through nine can hurt you. You know, yeah. that, like ba Bellinger is batting sixth. Yeah, hello, Sorry, Bellinger. <laughs> We're talking about an MVP. Correct. He's batting sixth. I mean, it's just this is a, this is a great. Whether the Dodgers win the World Series or the Rays pull off the upset of the of the century, the the fact is. This is an extraordinary Dodger team that won 43 out of 60 games. I mean, that in itself is unbelievable. No, it, 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 they're, they're a tremendous team. And, uh, you know, I, 
I wouldn't feel terrible if they finally won, even though I really dislike the Dodgers. I wouldn't feel terrible because it's been so long. And Dave Roberts, I think, deserves some success. And, you know, but uh, but but again, those plucky, those plucky Tampa Bay Rays, you can't count those guys out. And uh, you should I'll be seen, watching what happens, man. Did you see Roberts' reaction where he threw yeah. his took yeah. his hat and was like I did. I did. <laughs> I did. And and you know, when you see that, yeah. when you see Roberts react like that, and you're talking about a manager who's done everything he's been asked and he's except, a stoic he's a stoic manager he doesn't he really is he really is who's this is a man who's done everything he's been asked except win the 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 last series of the season you know and it's hard it's the one thing he hasn't been able to do so. yeah it's it's just uh i i don't know what to make of it but but i start thinking about rick renteria uh and and the sense that you know there's a little bit of with that with 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 this guy and i think that he has to win this world series otherwise i think people think in la win it? i think people in la are going to start to call for his job i they, i really do they were calling for his job you know you i was reading pieces last season the season before implying or hinting or implicating that maybe the dodgers would go in a different direction that they couldn't win a world series this year and oh boy i mean it's hard i mean how do you fire a guy you know who takes you all the way to the World Series. I mean, assuming they lose, how do you fire a guy, you know, in the middle of a pandemic who took your team all the way to the final step and just couldn't quite get them over the top? Well, how do you do that as an organization? I don't I don't think it, they can. He, he, you know, it's very Mo Green-like, you know. He's, un, he's unlucky. That, it is know, unlucky, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't that the case? You know, he made that tremendous steal uh, against the Yankees when he was with the Red Sox, which allowed the Red Sox to come back, you know, from uh, down three games in the ALCS. So he had that one tremendous moment of glory, right. you know, where he, he he really helped the team win it all. But as a manager, he's been unable to do it. He, he's, he's a very good reason. He's, very, he's a very likable guy. He is a very likable guy. And, and so he's, he's probably the not... one thing about that team I like. <laughs> exactly. You know? When I think of like the Dodgers and like Leo DeRocher, this is a guy you yeah. want to throw a pie in his face. Yeah. But Roberts is, is a very nice guy. And, I, you know, I just, as a fan, after seeing the game last night, I, this is the best thing about baseball. Why I love baseball is moments like that. When you, yeah. when you have, you think all the way through it, and at the very end, it, it totally Something upends, upends your whole thinking of the game up to that point. It's just, all your planning, it, all it, it, your strategies. It it's all almost too much. It, it's almost too much. I mean, you don't really see that in other sports so much. The only, th the only thing that to me that is similar to it is maybe basketball because basketball I've seen, you know, seven, eight points scored within 20 seconds. It's, it's just unusual. Uh, you yep. definitely don't see it in football when, when there's, a, when there's uh, to me anyways. But uh, so the fact of the matter is no matter who wins, there's, it's going to be a muted celebration. It, it is. It, it, and baseball has put out an edict that says, you guys can drink, but not too much. And, I, and I'm like, I remember when my mom used to say that to me. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> that never ended drink, well. You can drink, you can raise your glasses, right. you can't pour champagne on people, you can't drink five beers at a time. <laughs> like that video. Did you see the video at the, at the end of that article that you sent yeah. me? Yeah. yeah. New York Times. Yeah. Work. <laughs> Where Madison Bumgarner drinks five yeah. bottles of beer at once. Yeah. That's yeah. hysterical. Yeah. That yeah. really is hysterical. Well, you know, he's a rodeo guy. So those he is rodeo a rodeo guys guy. are, that's, are beasts. That's his his thing. But I mean, yeah, you're not gonna have the traditional, you know, uh cover the 
cover the clubhouses in plastic and then just throw beer and champagne on everybody, you know? So, so I remember when we won our first baseball championship, um, there was people were pouring champagne on my head and my eyes were burning uh, from it. And I remember thinking like, this is, this, this is great, but my, what about my eyes are killing me now. Well, yeah. some of the players are talking about now that, that the, I guess the champagne seeps in through the goggles. Why are you wearing the goggles then? I don't know. I don't know. I've never, you know, that's a scene I've never been in and it's not something that I can uh, realistically or, or I, I can't provide any commentary. Well, let me tell you, it's great. I've had it a couple of times. It's great. But I just think that this is, Smoltz said, this is the most interesting baseball season ever. And he, and I think he's right. It's played out that because you have all of these things like now that you're telling them that you can't pour champagne on each other. And then worst of all, the TV ratings for this World Series are god-awful. God yeah, they are. They are god-awful. And it's like apparently the worst ever was Detroit and San Francisco in, in 2012, which I went I went to a couple of those games. And the, and the reason is, is because, well, first of all, it was Detroit, but also it's a four-game sweep. Yeah. Right. Mainly it's because of Detroit. Now this year, it's be, basically it's because it's Tampa Bay. It's exactly what you said. Hey, the world wants to see the Yankees and the Dodgers. The world does want it, but I'm going to tell you, world, that this is a team you should watch. Now, I, I haven't watched every inning of every game like I'm like I'm sort of accustomed to doing, but uh, you know, what I've you should do as a baseball podcaster, by the way. I know, I know, but but sometimes life, you know, I, on Friday night I went and played pool. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's I, yeah. that's something that I enjoy very much. You you live with the choices you make. You live um, with the choices you make, but I but I always am able to find out. I can absorb. Yeah, what is happening, even if I didn't, don't see every inning, you know, you, you read about these things, you watch highlights, you, you catch up, but, but you're <laughs> right. I mean, people have not been watching and part of it has to do with the fact that one of the teams in the world series is not very popular, and, you know, but, but there's other things at play too. And, and, and one of them sadly is, is the erosion of fans to baseball. I, I don't think, I think baseball's like a lot of things um, COVID related is suffering mightily because of it and yeah. so it, it should come back but it's just a little concerning if it could because something like this could be a harbinger so based on what happened last night there should be a huge audience tonight yeah there should you be know what i'm saying audience. and if there's not then i just I, i'm just slightly concerned that well baseball you, has a fan problem not an attendance problem but a fan problem every every sport is suffering right now. Nobody right. watched the NBA. Nobody uh, right. watched. Right, that was the worst. That was the worst. And nobody. Who, well, I mean, could it have been worse than hockey? I mean, who watched hockey? I didn't. You know, I, I did because the Blackhawks. I, yeah, I did. I, I'm a sports geek, and also I feel like with this virus from China, it, it's yeah. made me want to like. Hey, it's a live sporting event. I'm going to watch it because who knows? I might be in a box next week. No, you're right. So enjoy all the sports you can. Exactly. I'm watching, I am watching a badminton match at one o'clock on ESPN seven later this afternoon. Wow. <laughs> Was that pay-per-view? Is that pay-per-view? No, it's not. This is part of my package. It's an international championship round, you know, a, a qualifying match. So anyways. My, my point was, though, that you do not, you cannot inoculate a society from a sport. You know what I mean? As, as, as much as the sport takes a hit. As, as hard as, 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 as many, as many viewers as they're losing, you know, and at greater and greater rates, 
there'll always be baseball and there'll always be people playing it. It's just going to get a big haircut right now. You know what yeah. I mean? In terms of the revenue it generates and so on and so forth and the eyeballs it draws. Well, you know, it's really only going to be drawing the junkies, maybe like you and I for a while. And that's, that's the way it goes. You know, yeah. it's interesting that you say that. It's because um, this week, uh, former Astros GM, Jeff, uh, oh, Jeff yes. Lunau, um, came out in the media, basically repudiated. Before we even say this, I just want to say that all of the pl- people that were suspended for a year, I thought they were supposed to be contrite. And they, they supposedly learned something. And I don't know if that was in the terms of the society. Right. I, I know. I'm being facetious. Yeah. And so um, Lou now um, is basically saying, hey, I'm almost, you know, completely guilt free of this. I, I need a job and I want a job. And, yeah. you know, Major League Baseball came out and said, wait a minute, you're not innocent. You're not even close to being innocent. And and, and when you I violated saw that, our, our, our direct instructions and when i saw that i was enraged at at luna it's like you know what you should never be hired again you you obviously haven't learned anything a you were integrally involved you were part of that whole spreadsheet thing that was created in 2014 which the atlantic points out that had they used it outside of the game of baseball it would have been completely illegal but they decided to use it in the game of baseball that's completely illegal um, and Lunau, you, there's like a thousand emails uh, that prove that you were intimately involved. And then there's other emails and there's other emails and then there's other corroborating testimony. That he was aware and did nothing to stop it in spite of Major League Baseball's direct instructions that this was not allowed. You know what I mean? And that's really where he's guilty. That's really where he gets into trouble. That's where it, 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 it ends with him. And that's where they're justified in suspending him for a year. And I'll tell you right now, he's lucky it was only a year. I want to see the team that hires this guy, because I would say, are you out of your mind? This guy's a villain. This guy, I hate to say it, is almost as bad as that guy on the Angels that that uh, provided the drugs to uh, to what's his name, the, to the pitcher that died. Yeah, uh, Tyler Skaggs. Tyler yeah. Skaggs, thank you. The fact is, Luno... You're a, you're a disgrace. What you need to do, and this is this AJ Hinch and Cora, you guys need to wa- to understand. You need to show contrition. Otherwise, it'll never get out of our heads. Never. Well, I mean, if if Lunau is going to continue with this line of rhetoric that he's been unfairly treated, that it wasn't all his fault, and blah blah blah, the only place he's going to be able to get a job is in Vegas, working for sports books. You yeah. know, making uh, doing handicaps, handicapping the the line for baseball games. You know, well, I hope it. to God he doesn't get hired as an announcer, but the media should not hire him. It's just to me, I, you've I, got to send a message that this kind of behavior is not will not be tolerated moving forward. And, and, and as a result, Hinch may be hired by the White Sox. The White Sox will will interview him, it, I assume, after their, you know, after the suspension for Hinch ends after the last out of the World Series. So but I thought that didn't aren't they on La Russa? Don't they want the they interviewed La Russa? They did interview La Russa. And again, you know, I think that they probably would hire Larusa, um, in spite of the fact that. Well, I mean, the big obstacle for Larusa is whether or not he says he wants to do it, that he wants to put his own health at risk, traveling around the country with the team and possibly exposing himself to the infection. I mean, that's really what Larusa has to kind of contemplate. You know, that, that's a good point. That's the one thing that will probably keep him 
from, from, from becoming the White Sox manager. Now, I don't want them to hire him. I don't want him to be the White Sox manager yeah, me because I dislike Tony La Russa intensely because I never liked him when he was with the A's and I hated him even more when he was with the Cardinals. So there's that, That's that, that, that but that's a personal bias. I don't uh, deny that he's a great baseball mind. He's certainly lucid enough to do the job. I, I'm not worried about that, but I just don't want to see him hire the guy. Yeah, I kind of don't either. I just, you know, it's it's there's all it, it's all kinds of wrong messages that it sends. And I think one of the worst of the messages is you don't have any confidence in the young managers out there that should be given an opportunity. This is a point in time where you should take a chance on on an unknown as opposed to a known. Yeah. That that's what I think because you, the other thing too is this is a bridge hire. This is not going to be the, no, he's not know, going to be doing this for five years. Right, right, right. It, it, this is almost like a latter-day Casey uh, Stengel type of a move, knowing full well that he's either going to die or he's ultimately going to have to retire. You need a manager that's going to take him to the next step. And to me, if he's only, if you're only hiring him under the guise of one or two years, I don't think it's worth the, the time to – they got to retool the whole dugout to, to make sure he's got all of his uh, – you, yeah. know, you know, the one good thing is, though, that there will be early – um blue hair specials in the clubhouse yes, right, right you know right. so you can get the senior yeah. discount um, That's right. and right. so no you're right i mean there's all these things that they're going to have to consider so the one thing you know it's interesting i i was worried you know because uh Renneria spoke fluent Spanish or speaks yes. fluent Spanish. But and so does La Russa. So does La Russa, and I didn't believe it. I because I, I speak fluent Spanish and right. I didn't believe I, it. I speak Google Translate Spanish. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I speak fluent Spanish. I teach Spanish speakers you know you in Spanish. But anyway, so I, I went, I just did a little sort of cursory Google search, and he does speak really good Spanish. He speaks it well enough that he won't have any problem communicating with the Cuban and Puerto Rican and Dominican, you know, players that he has on his team. He's fine. You know, yeah, but you know what? At some point, he's going to do that classic senior moment thing is, where did I put my DH? <laughs> Help me find my DH. Well, I mean, they just, Herm Snyder's going to have to really stock up on Depends and Geritol. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, but uh, no, but, but I'm, but I'm kidding. That's where we're all headed, you know, but, uh, but now they announced the gold glove finalists. Did you hear about this? And they yeah. also oh, of course. announced the player's choice awards, right. which were interesting. And what so is, what is this player's choice awards? What is this? What well, basically it's a chance for the players to say, you know, who they think are the best players in baseball who's the best pitcher, who's the most valuable. Is this player. the foreign press? Yeah, this is like the foreign press. This is like, and it's a, it's a predictor of the real postseason awards in much the same way that the Golden Globes and the foreign, you know, predict the yeah. Oscars. You know. <laughs> but, uh, but, are, but my question is, do they have it right? Did they get some of these right? Because the one thing that they, they announced that the player of the year for the NL and most outstanding player which is kind of an all-encompassing DH, or not DH, but an all-encompassing MVP award for both leagues. This year it was Freddie Freeman. Do you agree with that selection? Well, it, um, generally, yes, because remember, Freeman had COVID, okay? So Freeman's um, preseason was different than every other player that didn't have COVID, I should say. He had COVID, and um, when he first started, I thought that this was going to be an immense task on his enormous power as a hitter within 10 days he was back to normal and yeah. and and he um was an integral part of the brave success believe me 
I saw a lot of their games. 462 on base percentage. Yeah. Ouch. And, 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 and he was a hammer hitter in situations that other hitters, other first baseman, Rizzo comes to mind, wasn't. Um, and, and, and had numerous opportunities to. Free, Freeman delivered. So I don't have an issue. 1,100 OPS. Is that yeah. bananas? 3.4 war in 60 games. That's crazy. You know, now I don't, the, the, you know, looking ahead, through this list, looking through this list, I don't, I don't really disagree. If you think about some of the heads of these awards, I'm not going to go through all of them now, are ones that we picked for the, for the awards, you know, with the exception, I would say, of maybe Daniel Bard on the Rockies, who was picked as the comeback player of the year. I didn't see that one coming. I'll be honest with you, right? Well, the one I, I, I didn't see that coming either, but but the one that I'm sort of sa- that satisfies me is the selection of Jose Abreu as uh, AL yes. outstanding player. Um, he, I love Jose Abreu. I me mean, too. the reason if I'm watching the White Sox, I'm watching it because of him. You know, with the there, there's a sort of dignity and pride that that man plays with, and you just cannot help but admire it. And we're talking about a man who leads the team in spite of the fact he doesn't speak a word of English. Right. You know. And, uh, and is making and what I love about him making no attempt to. No, he, he doesn't really because it's not important to him, and that's that's fine. And I would bet actually that he does speak a little bit to his English speaking teammates. He's making an effort, but my point is is that you know here's a guy who's ultimately dedicated to hitting and and helping his team win. And we're talking about a guy who's not a very good defensive first baseman, but he works so great, but he's adequate. Right. You know, um, but he's a tremendous hitter. He's impossible to strike out. Yeah. And uh, he just gets clutch hit after clutch hit this year. You know, you know the, the White Sox kind of uh, bloomed a little bit this year, and he was an integral part. And to me, his only competitor was uh, was that young pop star on Cleveland, Bieber. Um, yeah. and, and Bieber had an extraordinary year, too. But you could, I'm okay with it either way. Um, and good, good for Abreu because there was some talk going into – prior to this year of him not being on the team anymore. And obviously the White Sox made the right, right move there because he's, he's an elder statesman on that team. I think the younger players look up to him. Um, you know, you, you say, potato, some, uh, I say potato, you say Robert, I say Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk really fast about the gold gloves. And there are a couple of oddities here in that the, for the finalists for the gold glove have been announced. So these are the best three players at their position yeah. in each league. And the White Sox got two catchers named as finalists for the gold glove at catcher. That's Yasmani Grandal and James McCann. Is that, yeah. when has that ever happened? That's, that's gotta be pretty rare. You know, for the sake of brevity on the show, we, we don't have time to go through all of them, but I thought that there was a few categories on the American league side that I'm like, what are you talking about? I watch these games. For example, um, the there's, there's second baseman and, and shortstop on, on Detroit. Shortstop, Nico Goodrum, yes, he deserved it. But the other one, uh, Shoop or, or whatever his name, he definitely did not deserve it. He's not a gold glove. They have four finalists. Shoop. Scope. I think it's, it's pronounced scope or whatever. But oh, yeah, yeah. It, he is not. So there was a couple of those where I'm like, really? And then when I saw the White Sox two catchers, it made me think, you know, are you guys just on vacation? Is the COVID in your brain? You do some more work because there's no way that those two catchers could be gold glove candidates. Because the fact is, in McCann's defense, he didn't have a chance to be the gold glove guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Get it. Yeah. And, and, just, and then Grandall doesn't do, like, he frames pitches well, he hits well, 
that's about it, you know? You know, and in the National League, the first thing that stuck out for me is Alec Mills is one of the pitching yeah, uh, candidates. I'd like to Alec what is, Mills. Yeah. What is I'm that? I'm kind of happy about that. I, I am too. And, and the fact is, he really is a good defender, as we saw. Um, and not so much in his no hitter that he pitched, but in other times, he's shown very good dexterity at, on the uh, between home plate and and uh, the pitching mound. He's really good covering that space. And so uh, good for him. It just kind of stuck out. Well, he's having against Max Fried from the Braves and his own teammate, Kyle Hendricks. Right. right. So both of these guys are, are in line for the gold glove. Except hope- Freed, Freed is going to win. He had an extraordinary year at uh, um, defensive. His defensive win above replacement is better than those guys. So I, I, Alec Mills is not named. If he does not win the gold glove, I will say that this is the greatest injustice ever since the award was conceived. Yeah, okay. Uh, but but seven Cubs. I mean, that's impressive. Seven right? Cubs, Wilson Contreras, you know, Anthony Rizzo. Anthony Rizzo is the best. I, I keep saying this. He's the best defensive first baseman I've ever seen. Yeah. He's better than Hernandez. He's, he's better, not better than Hernandez. But anyway. He's better than Hernandez. Yeah. Jane, he's not he's much better than Hernandez. No, he he's knows better. better than Hernandez. Okay. His, his, the way he moves, his feet, his yeah. positioning are impeccable. He's well, he, He's the best. What color is the sky in your world? No, I'm telling you, he is the best. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I appreciate your, your uh, you know, your excitement over him. Um, now, do you think, though, but does Nico Horner really deserve a shot? Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Absolutely not. That is a disgrace. He is not that good. That's what I mean. That, okay. You know, but uh, look, he's he's better than Kipnis, but not much better than Kipnis. Um, so, but they also announced the Silver Sluggers, and of course, there were no Cubs on that list. No, yes, I, no kid, I kid, I kid, I kid, I kid. <laughs> that was, that was, now, uh, did you see also where now in New York, we've been talking about this story, and it just will not die. It's about the sale of the Mets by the Wilpon family to a guy named Steve Cohen, because initially, you know, J-Lo and A-Rod were going to buy the team, and they were, but they finished second in the bidding, and this this um, billionaire, Steve Cohen, bought bought the team. But apparently the mayor of New York, we're not talking about Fiorello LaGuardia, we're talking about Bill de Blasio, has the power to overrule the sale, which I thought was extraordinary. Can you imagine if Lori Lightfoot said the Ricketts can't sell the team to another, you know, to another owner? That would well, be- Well, see, seeing, seeing how she is a Cubs fan, right? She's yeah. not a Sox fan. Um, it, it, you're right. It, it, it poses all kinds of questions, but the only reason why this is a story <clears throat> is because of the uh, problem that Cohen has had. And, you know, he paid a $1.6 or $1.8 billion fine for his securities irregularities. Um, <clears throat> so, and there's some sexual harassment stuff within his companies for, to forget, forget about the Blasio. There's at least six or seven owners in the major leagues that are not going to vote for him to be when it goes to the referendum to be voted for. Does it have to be unanimous? But it's not that it has to be unanimous, but it has to be a majority. And not that that's in peril, but there are owners that that are not okay with this. And so that's that's important. That's more that's more important than De Blasio, who I think eventually anything could be arranged with him. Yeah. No, I I I can't. I mean, I. I could not see how a politician, a locally elected official, could interfere in the sale of something like that. I, I just that that struck me as really unusual. 
So um, we should touch on the fact that the Cincinnati Reds yep. have yep. named a new uh, president of baseball operations. This is a guy named Nick Crawl. He's been promoted. Basically, they promoted from within. They, they elevated a guy who was a vice president of another aspect of their team. And um, I, 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 I got to tell you, if the Reds do sort of figure it out and finally get to the promised land and acquire the players necessary to get to the World Series and, and possibly win it, it's not going to be because of anything that Nick Crawl did. This guy is as milk toast as they come. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe people will sing his praises. We wouldn't have been able to do it without Nick, but, but this is the ultimate just sort of very, very safe guy to hire. You know what I mean? They're not hiring anybody with any new ideas here. This is a, a company man who's done it the company way, and uh, he's going to make owners the owners happy, but I don't think uh, he's going to excite anybody else. Well, you, you know more about this than me, but what I was taking with the whole Nick Crawl story is that, you know, he started with the Reds in 2003, uh, pretty much, you know, drying off seats in the ballpark. You know, right. that's what happens when you start, you know, he was a 20, 21 year old kid or something like that. And he's been with the team now 18, 18 seasons. And, and now he's the president it, of baseball it, operations. And, and yeah. That, so that's great. Just on that, that front uh, alone. Um, the only thing that occurred here is, is that he no longer reports to Dick Williams because Dick Williams resigned. He reports to the owner and his brother, Cass yeah, Castellini or whatever, however you pronounce it, um, directly. So that, that it's, this is kind of a minor thing because with Dick Williams's res resignation, he's, he's just taken off of the, the, the management team, but, but basically crawl, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's more of a procedural thing than anything. It is more of a procedural thing. And that's, that's the problem I have with it. You know what I mean? They didn't think, Oh, who can we get? Correct. They, Correct. They didn't, they didn't, they, they're like, well, we'll move things around. We'll move the furniture around a little bit and we'll change the, the name on the, I bet you his office didn't even change. You know what right. I mean? Probably. I mean, you, you know, you know so, you'll have to ask some of your friends from Cincinnati who have a much closer um, observance of what's going on here. But it could very well be because the Reds have some big decisions to make in the offseason <coughs> regarding their pitching staff um, and the fact that their hitters suffered from what the Cubs hitters suffered for, which was lack of timely hitting. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the, the Reds are in a, in, a, in a position where they're ready to go to the next level. That, that, that's how good I, hey, I picked them to go to the playoffs. They, they got in by the skin of their teeth, but I did. I, they were one of my teams along with the White Sox that I thought would progress this year. They did. They need to go to the next level. And, and so are they going to be like the Rays and kind of, you know, do what the Rays did, which is, this is a very Rays move, the Dick Crawl thing. That's what the Rays would do. Uh, and so maybe they're thinking, hey, if the Rays can win the World Series, so can we acting like this? Generally, you cannot. That's an aberration. That that's not the norm. That's the well, that's see, the Rays. Though the difference between the Rays and the Reds is the Rays recognize that they can't win through conventional methods. Right. So Just they, like the Oakland A's. Right. That they they're out there in the laboratory and they're they're you know putting little you know elixirs into vials and coming up with algorithms and. But it's market, it's market driven. Approach. It's market driven. It's by the, if you think about it, what do all three of those teams have in common? It's basically their markets are very similar. Um, so very all similar. I'm saying is, is that you may be right. Crawl may be milk toast, but the reality is if they take a step backwards next year, 
I don't know who's going to be on the hook for it, but it could very well be Crawl. <laughs> I, I doubt it could be Crawl. I doubt it would be Crawl. I, I think that he's, I mean, how can you say, like if things go th south through the Reds, how can you say it was his fault? You know what I mean? Uh, well, I think Crawl will be firing some people. Is right, right, right. But you just never know. I mean, I, I, who knows? I, I Me, I always wish the Reds well. And the reason is, is because for the health of baseball, yeah. you need to meet, the Reds need to be a player in it. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? That's the double-edged sword that you want. Baseball is interesting when small market teams succeed. But Correct. the other problem with that is, is that the fan bases are smaller. So the ratings are down. So what true, true. But so, so, I mean, do you want the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Cubs and the Dodgers in it every year? Or do you kind want of, yeah. As, as long as it's the Cubs, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of the Cubs. Yeah, speaking of the Cubs and, and personnel moves, the Cubs opted not to bring back their assistant hitting coach, Termel Sledge, whose two-year contract ended. And uh, what I'm really, what really excites me about this is now they finally figured out what was wrong with the offense. <laughs> now, now it'll be fine going forward. They fixed it. They Ladies identified the problem and now we can move on. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are talking to Mr. Chili Davis. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the best hitting coach they ever had, John Malley, they yeah. fired him. I right. And they have never been able to get back to anything that resembles a reasonable offense. The, the, the hitting coaches tend to get too much credit and too much blame, but not when it comes to what's going on with the Cubs now. They're, they're, the Cubs hitting is under a microscope, but uh, he's not the only one that was let go this week. The Cubs, th this, was, this was the most alarming story I read all week long in a week of Trump and Biden stories. To me, this scared the living crap out of me. And that is the Cubs have laid off over 100 employees. Yeah, operations, development, scouting across the board. You know, they have uh, made some massive cuts to their organization. And this is just, you know, this is how will baseball, I mean, you assume that when things get back to normal, all these guys will be hired, if not with the Cubs, somewhere else. But can we count on that? You know, I, I mean, uh, it, I don't know. This is scary. I think that there's two names that stick out to me, Leo, and that is Jose Serra and Hector Ortega. Yeah. Both of these guys have been um, with the team in the scouting side for a long, long time. Serra is responsible for Eloy Jimenez and Braylon Marquez, and Ortega is basically responsible for Contreras, Gleybar Torres, and Alzale. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't have gotten rid of these guys. I'm just telling you, it's this... This story scares me on many fronts because basically what it's trying to say is, hey, this is the new normal. We'll start to bring back some of these some of these people or new people to fill their positions as COVID turns, which I believe that will happen. Eventually, these 100 will be hired back. I just think they should have been a little more judicious. There's a couple of guys in there I wouldn't have let go. That's all. It's just kind of scary. Leo. You know what Rick Steves, uh, the travel writer, did yeah. with his company during COVID? Because obviously nobody's traveling. So rather than letting people go. He encouraged his, he kept all his employees to the extent that he could, you know, everybody, he, yeah. he, he, salaries have been lowered, but he also said, you know, instead of working on travel writing, go out and do things for your community, yeah. go out and run food banks, do things right. like that, you know, and uh, he's encouraged them to, and I, I think that that's a really great thing to do. And I think that organizations like the Cubs might consider something like that. I don't know. This seems to be a brutal, 
cut here. This is yeah. not, and you know, you're t some of these people, there's one guy with 39 years of experience. Hopefully they gave them decent packages so that they, they don't have retirement uh, uh, financially. Realistic, that that guy won't be back. He won't be back. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. The majority of these people will not be back for a variety of reasons. It could be the individuals have moved on to different places. But regardless, I just, 120 of them are key personnel, both on the operations side and the baseball side. It was, uh, it's just troubling to me. And I, I uh, uh, it was a scary article to read. And I, and I, it, it's scary me in the sense that Ricketts really ultimately are all about money. That's, it's really the bottom line because everything that they've done since they bought the Cubs to prop up that community around there, the investments that they've made have all been about money. Yeah, and so, they completely transformed the intersection that has that ballpark. It is just not, if you have been there recently, it is not the same place it was 20 years ago. Right. You know, and uh, so, it is largely due to their efforts and, and they spent a lot of money and they're yeah. going to lose a lot of it. So no. we, we have to move on to popcorn for time's sake here. We yes. have to move on to popcorn. Um, so I chose the movie this week. One of my favorite movies. Um, this is Robert Altman's Cookie's Fortune. And, you know, it is, if you've never seen this movie, it's an ensemble cast centered around the death of a, a Southern matriarch named Cookie, who Cookie Duval or whatever, and she lives in this small town that everybody knows one another. They're black people, they're white people. It's the kind of town in the South that you sort of imagine as an ideal where blacks and whites live together, know each other, love each other, care oh, about yeah. each other and do things together. It might be a little fanciful, but it's certainly no less enjoyable. And Cookie, who is played by the incomparable- um, Patricia Neal. Trish, Patricia, uh, Patricia Neal, and one of the last roles she ever had, right. you know, is an old woman who has her good friend, a black man, Willis, who hangs out at her house and they basically drink and clean their guns and, and give each other crap. Well, Cookie um, gets depressed with life and she takes one of the guns and she, she kills herself. Because she, her, she uh, misses her husband. She misses, misses her, husband. her husband, Buck, and uh, she, she shoots herself. She's discovered by uh, Camille Dixon, her niece, played by Glenn Close, who's a sort of one of the one of the Southerners that you absolutely despise, who cares more about appearances than real life. And she's sort of holier than thou all the time. And she directs the Easter pageant at the local church. It's the kind of person that you sort of really despise, you know, and she she what she does is instead of of allowing people to learn that cookie killed herself which would be embarrassing to her family she she makes it look like somebody had broken in and murdered her and so the rest of the movie is basically you know willis willis richmond the black man played by charles dutton um is the primary suspect and this sort of incompetent sheriffs and detectives try to yeah. figure out uh, who did what and how this actually happened and it's a wonderful movie, an ensemble cast. There are so many famous people in this, so many heavyweights, you know, that uh, this is something you really need to see if you haven't. Did you enjoy it? So I'm going to say something crazy here. I think I actually like the movie better than you. Really? Yeah, I think this is a four-star classic film. I agree with Ebert's assessment. This is the sunniest film yeah. of Robert yeah. Altman. And it is by the sunniest way, funniest, the happiest. Yeah. I, you know, I'm a huge fan of Robert Altman. We covered off on a Robert Altman film this year at Gosford Park, which is completely different than this film, which shows you how great he is. So 
I don't know where to begin on this because there's a lot to chew up here. The fact is that that uh, Dutton, Charles Dutton, this oh. is kind of a breakout performance by him. Um, out, out, and, and the other thing too is, but I, I can't go on my little diatribe without mentioning the great Julianne Moore, who yeah. plays. I don't know whether you've ever read the book, The Sound and the Fury, but she plays a simpleton character, much like one in The Sound and the Fury, and she's brilliant. She maybe steals the film with her acting, and, and that's saying something. Well, the movie hinges on her because she's the sister of, of Camille. She's right. Cora Duvall. She's Camille Dixon's sister. Her dim sister. They live together. They sleep in separate beds in the same room, which is odd. Yeah. It, you know, and, they, pray, they pray together. If you saw yeah. that one little scene, uh, so yeah, she she was really great. But my favorite character outside of Willis, who is yeah. this basically the the main character, is Lester, played by the great Ned Beatty. Ned Beatty, oh, yeah. Yeah. Ned Ned Beatty was in one of my favorite TV shows called Homicide: Life on the Street. That's one of my all time favorite TV shows. He's always been a great actor, and yeah. and this was a per you know at this point. Thank God Ned's still with us. He's 83 years old, but he was around 60 when he made this film. How do you know he didn't do it? He says, because I fished with him. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. That and and more and and that that line almost sums up the story. And then in a great scene at the very end, they actually are fishing together after the story's been wrapped up. But there's one thing I kept thinking while I watched the film again. I saw it originally at Brabeck's movie party back in the 90s, but I never, we were talking, I didn't pay attention to it. I finally got to really watch it in a great copy of it. It misses Lieutenant Columbo. I kept thinking, you know, if Lieutenant Columbo walked in here, it's, it's, it's like a, a Columbo plot without Lieutenant Columbo. And, and, and it just, it, it threw, and the whole story kind of played out. There's this wonderful scene at the end where um, the granddaughter of the matriarch, you know, it loves Willis so much. She moves into the jail cell with him while they're holding him and they're playing Scrabble together. And she's, you know, basically the jail cell is open and she's going in and, and, and doctoring up his coffee with, with, uh, with old turkey. Yeah, with old turkey, wild yeah. turkey. Yeah. Wild Turkey, I'm sorry. And yeah. I just thought this was a wonderful film that anybody, what I would say to young people that are interested in, in film, you have to really start Altman by watching Nashville. That was the film that really kind of- Promote that, that sort of projects him as- Exactly, the established him as the one time, uh, uh, you know, a great director. He did something brilliant in this film. And that is, there's a subplot in the story about Camille directing this play at the local church Right. Uh, Salome. 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 I'm sorry. I can't even remember how to pronounce it. By Oscar Wilde, right? And, uh, Oscar Wilde and, and Camille. Camille Dixon. And, and Camille. And, and um, Altman went and hired a Salome production in a local community, and he watched how they put the play together, and that was his... Um, that was his template. That was his impetus for, for creating those wonderful scenes where everyone in the community is in the play. I've, I've been in towns like that. And it, I just thought it ultimately projected this cheeriness, certainly in Southern cities, which have been maligned by the racism, the fact that everybody can just get along and do very, very well. And I, and I thought that, you know, Altman was at the twilight of his career. He only directed a couple more pictures after this. And this just showed what a great director he was. This was it's. You know, what I love about Altman is it's the gentle touch. He does not hit you 
over the head with emotions and things like that, or just these crazy camera shots or close-ups. It's almost as if, and he did this with, with Gosford Park so effectively, but it's like, you're, you're there. You're right. with right. people in the movie. You're, you're a witness. You know what I mean? I, it, I, I, you I'm just glad. don't get to say anything or interact with anybody, but you're there. I'm glad you brought that up because he's, you know, the greatest director at that, what you're describing is Terrence Malick. Yeah. If you ever watch a Terrence Malick film, you feel like he's just dropped the camera down into a regular town and he's just, you know, because of the way that they stage the conversations and they have microphones and many different scenes and the camera just kind of flows. Altman did a spectacular job. The opening scene, which sets up the story, is a, a great 10 minutes of yeah. showing Willis in the bar, stealing that bottle of whiskey because he doesn't have the money. He's, he's light on funds right now. And, and just the way that the camera just rolled through these various, the cops eating their donuts and drinking coffee because you know what? There's never a crime in this town. Nothing ever happens here. That's other than a parking ticket, other than making sure you give Emma Duvall 150 parking tickets, you know? I, I will mean, say that this is the best thing I could ever say about a, the, a movie, and that is this is highly unrated, underrated film. This is a movie underrated. that needs a lot more attention than it's, it's, than it's, it's getting. It's a movie that if it comes on cable, I will always stop to watch it. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, a, aged, it's aged very well, too, by the yeah. way. It's kind of timeless. It so. really is. So if you haven't seen it, go ahead and see it now. This brings us, you know, because next week will be our last show. We always end yeah. our series of shows. Our season. Uh, our season. Our season ends uh, always when the World Series ends. So you have the fortune of being able to pick next week's popcorn discussion movie. And I'm up, I'm up for the challenge, let me tell you. We will close out our season with a film made in 1960 okay. by Federico Fellini called La Dolce Vita. La Dolce Vita. All right. Which means the sweet life. Yes, the sweet life. That's correct. Yes, for those of you who don't speak any Italian, the Dolce <laughs> Which I don't even. I speak uh, Google Translate Italian. Well, well you know, it, 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 <laughs> that is a tremendous movie that you selected and a movie I've seen. I'm looking forward to seeing it again this week. Dude. It's going to be great. So, all right. So until next week, we are Two Peas in a Podcast. Oh, bang the drums slowly and play the five lowly. Play the dead march as they carry me along. Put bunches of roses all over my coffin. Roses to deaden the clouds as they fall.